Thank you all for um, being here. Uh, my name's Nexus Seminar, but this is very much a joint effort. I'm Nathaniel Jennings, and I'm the Ireland rep for OMF. But we're doing this seminar together with, with Joanne, who works for Crosslinks, and with Kim Becker, who works for Friends International. And you'll find out a little bit more about their ministries and, and themselves um, as they share. Um, all our organizations are part of um, a network of mission agencies called MAP, Mission Action Partnership. Um, so, so we very much love working together, different organizations, but one kingdom and one goal, and that's to glorify Jesus Christ. So pray that, that what we share today will, will be a blessing. Um, over to Joanne. Okay, I've got the job of welcoming you and starting us off. So I want to think today about why do people move around the world? What reasons do you think people have for moving? Jobs, work, anything else? Education, study, famine, refuge. So people move around the world to seek refuge. We'll be looking at uh, refugees here in Northern Ireland. We'll be looking at those that come to work and we'll be looking at those uh, that come to study. In this first five minutes, I'm just going to give you some short definitions of legally who those people are so that you can understand. Often we refer to people as immigrants or maybe in a derogatory way as, as foreigners. Um, but there are technical terms uh, for each of them and different reasons why uh, they may be here in Northern Ireland. A refugee is someone who has allowed to come to live in another country because they've proven they'd be at risk if they went home. They are allowed to bring their close family members to live with them, and they're also allowed to work and to claim benefits. I'll be speaking later about asylum seekers and refugees in a little more detail. An economic migrant is someone who's moved to another country to work. They could be living here legally or illegally, depending on how they entered the country, and they may or may not have a legal right to a work permit. Technically, when they first arrive, they can't claim benefits, so it's a bit of a, a falsehood uh, to say that people are coming here uh, just to claim benefits. A student is someone who's moved to another country to study. Kim will talk more about this later. They're allowed to bring their close family members to live with them. They are allowed to work uh, part-time, but they cannot claim benefits, and they have to pay for all their own medical care as well. So there's a lot of misinformation out there of uh, what migrants are entitled to and what they aren't entitled to, and there are actually quite strict rules. We are here as Christians gathering together to think about how we can reach the nations of the world and how we can welcome uh, the world here. While we may think there's lots of different nationalities here, the, the last census, which was 2011, showed that there's still a very, very small percentage of other religions here in Northern Ireland. At this time, you can see that the main groups are, are gathered around the greater Belfast area. We'll be speaking a little of how that's changed in the past 10 years, and it will be interesting to see how the, the next census uh, figures uh, develop. But we do have an opportunity to reach many nations of the world, and that's the question we want you to think a little bit about uh, today. Uh, this Refugees Go Home 
Refugees not welcome, the opposite to what we want to talk about today, was written on the wall outside a church. Hopefully not by the church members, but that is often the reaction within uh, communities. So how do we think about uh, the opportunity we have to go to make disciples of all nations? We're all very familiar with this great commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel. But probably most of us are guilty of thinking of it in the context of that means I have to pack up my bags and go somewhere overseas. That's not the reality anymore. You may just have to go across the street, speak to someone in the aisle of a supermarket, get involved with work with students at a university. We've heard a lot from Rosario this week and Tim about hospitality. What an opportunity we have to be the person that puts the hand of the stranger in the hand of the saviour. We're going to look at a short video that summarises some of the biblical basis for the work that we're all involved in doing, and then I'll hand over to the others. The world is in crisis. The number of people forcibly displaced by war, conflict, or persecution recently reached a record high of 60 million. That includes over 15 million refugees. All over the world, people are migrating in search of a better life for themselves and for their children. The result is huge population shifts. As of last year, 14% of America's population was foreign-born. It's estimated that over 42% of Sydney, Australia's population is foreign-born. Our demographic landscape is changing dramatically, and we can easily allow the multitude of cultural voices, from political parties to media outlets, drive the way we feel about the world moving from all nations to all nations. As believers, though, the only outside voice we should care about is God's. So what does the Bible say about God's heart for the foreigner? Depending on your Bible translation, you'll see the words aliens, sojourners, foreigners, and strangers over 100 times in Scripture. In Deuteronomy alone, God commands His people to love the foreigner, use tithes to bless the foreigners, assemble with foreigners to listen to God's Word, invite foreigners to holidays and feasts, and to take care of the physical needs of foreigners. Why would God issue such commands? Again, Deuteronomy makes it clear, because the Israelites were once foreigners in Egypt, because the Israelites were slaves and God redeemed them, and ultimately so that others could learn to fear the Lord and follow God. God's instructions on this matter go far beyond Deuteronomy, though. Think about the story of Ruth. Ruth was a foreigner from Moab who married a Jewish man who died, leaving her a widow. Culturally, Ruth should have returned to her native land to be reunited with her own family and her own people. Indeed, Naomi, her mother-in-law, encourages her to do just that. But Ruth won't leave. She had been shown so much love and kindness by Naomi that she proclaimed, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Ruth decided to forsake the beliefs of her own people in order to follow the one true God of Israel. Imagine what could happen if Christians all over the world welcomed, loved, and showed hospitality to the refugees, immigrants, 
and international students flooding into our countries. We could have a great harvest of people saying, I want your people to be my people and your God to be my God. God's concern for the foreigner continues into the New Testament. Which commandments did Jesus proclaim as the greatest? Yep, love God and love your neighbor. He goes on to explain that your neighbor is not the person you expect, but the Samaritan, the foreigner, the one not like you, the one you would normally avoid. Jesus didn't just teach God's love for the foreigner, he demonstrated it by healing Gentile demoniacs, engaging in a spiritual debate with a Samaritan woman at a well, praising the faith of a Roman centurion, and celebrating the Gentile widow from Zarephath who fed Elijah. These were all foreigners, outcasts, strangers. In Acts chapter 2, who were the first people to hear the wonders of God in their own languages at Pentecost? It was the foreigners dwelling in Jerusalem. That's right, the first people to respond to the gospel when the Holy Spirit showed up were the nations living among the Jews. Paul makes God's intentions clear in his sermon at the Areopagus, where he proclaims, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. What if we took that message to heart? What if the movement of peoples all over the world is not something to fear? What if the influx of immigrants, refugees, and international students is, in fact, a blessing, an opportunity orchestrated by God in order to fulfill the Great Commission? Historically, missions has been focused on leaving your context and going out to reach the nations, and that must continue. But perhaps welcoming is just as strategic in the mission for God to be glorified among every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And remember, according to Ephesians 2, we were all strangers and foreigners, even enemies to the kingdom, before Jesus made a way for us to be citizens, children, and heirs. Pray, give, go, welcome. Where is God calling you? I'm going to give a little bit more um, biblical context to why we should be welcoming the stranger and, and uh, the privilege we have. Last night from this stage, Tim read um, some verses from Isaiah chapter 6, and I'm going to read them again um, because they are very powerful verses and, and they really give meaning to what this seminar is about. So in Isaiah chapter 6, starting verse 6, we read, um, of, of the time when the king is going to come, the Messiah is going to come and bring his kingdom in all its fullness and its glory. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. And in that day they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in him, and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. So the prophet Isaiah here, telling us about the coming of the Messiah and what his everlasting kingdom is going to look like when it's established. And the people in his days were, were waiting 
um, um, desperately waiting for this Messiah to arrive and to bring in his kingdom. And, we're, and Isaiah is giving them hope by telling them what this kingdom is going to look like. It's going to be like a feast. It's going to be like a feast with the finest meats and the finest wines. And it's going to be a feast which is joyful and fully satisfies. And it's going to be a feast that's going to include people of all nations, all languages, and all cultures. And all this is possible is because the veil that separated people of the world, the different backgrounds, different cultures, from God has been removed. And God himself is now going to welcome people of all backgrounds, of all nations, to himself and comfort them and remove their disgrace. And those who choose to trust him now, um, they will rejoice and be glad in the salvation at that time. And then in the New Testament, we actually get to meet this long-awaited Messiah uh, when he comes to earth and he is proclaiming his kingdom. And he speaks of the feast also when his kingdom comes in all its fullness. And this is what the, Jesus says about the feast in Luke chapter 14. A certain man was preparing a banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell them who had been invited and told them to tell them, come, for everything is ready. But they all alike made excuses. The first said, I just bought a field and must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. When the owner of the house, then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. So this feast of all feasts is going to be full of joy, satisfaction, the finest foods, the finest drinks. The host has sent his servants out to gather people in. And we are the servants. Jesus is the host. And it's our job to go out and invite people to that feast. And we're told that many people will um, reject the invitation with um, very polite and reasonable sounding excuses. Some will say, it's not convenient. Some will say, my life's already too full with um, earthly material concerns and, and looking after my loved ones. But Jesus, our master, says, the feast has already been prepared and my house will be full. Go out and search for the outsider, the poor and disabled. And we know from Isaiah's passage that this will also include people of all nations, the strangers in our midst, who we are told throughout God's world, word that we should welcome. And hopefully we're here because we have accepted that wonderful invitation. And we look forward to that wonderful feast when we'll be with Jesus. But this uh, passage tells us in the meantime what is the purpose of our lives. Our purpose is to invite others so that they can also enjoy the feast. That they can get a taste of it now through our hospitality. But so that they can accept the invitation, come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and become part of his kingdom. And we're told that those people, many of them, will be who we consider outsiders. People of different social classes from us, people with different abilities, and people with different cultural backgrounds. And they will be at the feast with us. So over um, the rest of this seminar, we're going to look a bit more into understanding who, the, particularly the alien and the stranger, is in Northern Ireland and how we might go about um, inviting them into the kingdom.
So, as was mentioned earlier, um, I work with Crosslinks, but I work mainly with refugees. Oh, not low enough. Shorter. Work with refugees and asylum seekers. Lots of the terms maybe to do with asylum seekers and refugees are misunderstood and what happens exactly when people arrive in country is misunderstood. So I'm going to speak briefly um, about that. Then I hope to tell you some stories of my interaction with uh, refugees and then look a little bit about some of the opportunities uh, you could have. An asylum seeker is someone who's had to leave their home country because they're in danger. They arrive in another country after a long and sometimes difficult, usually difficult journey and ask for asylum, which means they're looking for a place of safety and refuge. They are allowed to stay and will be looked after while a decision is being made about whether they can stay permanently. They're not allowed to work during this time. Uh, They're not allowed to claim uh, benefits, but they are supported Asylum seekers get less than £7 um, a week and are in um, accommodation that's provided uh, with heating and, and electricity. So they don't, they don't come because life is necessarily going to be easy here and many have left their families behind. So who is seeking asylum in Northern Ireland? I'm not sure how well you can see the map, so I've highlighted some of it on the next slide. Asylum seekers come from many countries around the globe that are experiencing war, conflict and human rights abuses, which is sometimes one of the areas we forget about. So in Northern Ireland, asylum applicants are most commonly from China, but that's because of human rights abuses, Somalia, Sudan, Nigeria and Zimbabwe. I personally am involved working with mainly uh, Somalian and Sudanese uh, asylum seekers and refugees, which is what they become if they get the right to stay uh, permanently. There's maybe not as many as we expect claims for asylum um, each year in Northern Ireland. There are 200 new claims for asylum in Northern Ireland in 2015 which is the last year I could find data for, which is less than 1% of the UK's asylum applications in that period. So of those 200 that claim asylum, the other statistics that I can give you are that in 2015, 600 individuals were in asylum accommodation in Northern Ireland. In 2016, that was 610 in in. 2017, 720. Not growing, amazingly, but that that could be because some of those people have had their claims accepted and they've been able to stay as refugees. Or it could be that they've become refused asylum seekers, which means they effectively become destitute because um, you're encouraged to go home. And many of the women I uh, work with are not able uh, to go home. Many of them have experienced... um, sex trafficking, um, seen family members killed in front of them or under threat uh, from terrorist organisations like Al-Shabaab if they go back uh, to their own countries. But with those that remain and become refugees, I've built many uh, close friendships. And this is a two-way street as you build friendships with people. I hope you've been picking that up uh, today uh, 
this week as you've listened uh, to people's uh, stories. I didn't plan to work with uh, Somalis or Sudanese. I worked in North Africa for 10 years. I was hoping to work uh, with North African or um, Middle Eastern uh, students who were Arabic speakers, who were well-educated, who were maybe middle class, who I would be very comfortable working with. But that wasn't the plan God had. And I've ended up working uh, with Somalis and Sudanese, who I've recently uh, discovered are some of the least reached people in the world. 80% of Somalis and Sudanese have never had any opportunity to hear the gospel. But yet God has brought them here and given um, them that chance. And I have the opportunity to do life uh, with them. And doing life with them means that they get involved in the intricacies of my life um, as well. My father died recently and the first five phone calls I had were from refugees uh, that I work with. I'd had to send a message very quickly because I wasn't able to do class uh, the next day. So there are I benefit as much from my friendships with them as they benefit uh, from being friends uh, with me. One of my uh, Sudanese friends after my father died, because my mother had died the year before, and I had sent the same message to all of my friends. I'd hesitated and nearly sent a different message, but to all of my friends, I'd sent the message that my mom had made it clear that she'd trusted in Jesus before she died. So when my dad died, I'd had that discussion with him a few weeks before, so I didn't say anything about that. So a few weeks after my dad died, one of my Sudanese friends asked, but I need to ask you this, did your dad trust in Jesus before he died? And I was able to share uh, with her why we believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. So you sometimes feel in these relationships that you're not having an effect. Rosiah's talk has really encouraged me that 500 meals later, before she really wanted a real conversation about the gospel, I haven't done anywhere near 500 meals with any of my friends. It's encouraging me to keep going, to keep persevering, and maybe some of these people will come into the kingdom, will have their hand put into the hand of the Saviour. As I finish, I'm going to very, very briefly talk about Syrian refugees because I know it's something uh, that's very much on uh, people's hearts. Syrian refugees are coming in under a different uh, programme called the Syrian Vulnerable Persons Relocation Scheme. And they work closely with the UN High Commission for Refugees to identify those that are most at risk and bring them to the UK. The UK is committed to bring about 20,000 So the scheme will resettle displaced refugees who are currently living in camps in neighbouring countries to Syria, principally Turkey, Jordan and Lebanon. There are groups of Syrian uh, refugees um, arriving in Northern Ireland. This is the 21st group arrived on the 13th of June 2019, consisting of 20 families, totalling 87 people. And this brings the total number of Syrian refugees welcomed to Northern Ireland to nearly 1,500. I mention them because it's a very different scheme. There's been lots of publicity um, about it and we have been very active in welcoming Syrian uh, refugees. This particular group will be settled in the district council areas of Antrim, Newton Abbey, Belfast, Newry and Mourne, Sorry, Newry, Morn and Down, Derry and Straban, Mid Ulster, Lisburn and Castlereagh, Fermanagh and Oma council areas. 
That basically means wherever you live in Northern Ireland, you should probably be coming across as Syrian refugees. So I want to encourage you to be part of the people that welcome uh, them. They live in a country where it's very normal to be hospitable, where it's very normal to speak to one another. They'll not think it's odd. And in fact, they'll probably invite you back to their house for a cup of tea. Please be the people uh, that do that. In many of my relationships with internationals, and particularly economic migrants that Nathaniel's going to go on to talk about, who I know from North Africa, they tell me that the people that are friendliest to them are the people that go to church. People do notice your words and your actions do have an impact, and can we encourage you to keep doing that? Now, the, the vast majority of migrants you will meet will probably be economic migrants. And economic migrants are people who are simply here um, searching for a, a better life. Um, they're different from refugees in that they're primarily um, the pull factor and the push factor are, are economic. In that um, where, where they're from, they're struggling um, to, to earn a, a reasonable living and, and they see much better prospects for themselves and their futures um, in another part of the world and, and therefore they, they move and not so much because of persecution due to um, their religion or their race or, or a, a political affiliation. Um, when we lived in Bangladesh, I would say the vast majority of people in Bangladesh, if they'd had the chance, they would have left Bangladesh and that's not because they didn't like Bangladesh. They, they loved their country, they loved their culture. It was um, heartbreaking for them to leave but so many of them just felt trapped and saw no prospects for themselves or their futures. And some would take ridiculous risks to get to countries with better economies. And I, and I, I know many, um, you'll read in your papers every week, are drowning in the Mediterranean. Um, I, I met a guy, he, he was trafficked to the south of Indonesia and then put on a boat to Australia. Um, he, he was rescued by the Australian lifeguards, um, put in a, in a prison camp on an island, sent back to Bangladesh. He had sold everything to pay those traffickers, and he was back where he started. Um, but I just thought to take that kind of risk, you know, what, that you don't do that lightly or, or easily. Um, and actually, uh, millions of people from this island in, over history, for the very same reasons, now live all over the world because they were seeking a better life. And simply seeking, I think, the thing that um, all of us hope for and all of us want, and that is to be able to be somewhere where we can work hard, we can um, earn a good living, um, we can have what we need materially, and we can live in safety and security with our families, and that our children can expect the, the same thing. Um, and, and that is just um, a common human instinct, and that is why um, the, the majority of people we find from other countries are here in, in Northern Ireland. And if we look at some statistics, um, the Northern Ireland Statistics and Research Agency um, uh, estimated or... Yeah, their figures showed that over 22,000 people came to Northern Ireland um, in the year 2017. Um, about half were from outside the UK, the other half were from, from other parts of the UK. Um, the biggest groups were from the Republic of Ireland, from Romania, and from Poland. And the main reasons for, for migration, 44% um, were, were for work. That, that's the biggest factor. Um, 27 for family, um, to join family. And, and 14 for, for education, so we can kind of see what, what is drawing people to Northern Ireland and why, why, they're, why they're coming here. Um, 
if you also look at the, the numbers of people leaving Northern Ireland or people returning home, actually um, it's almost, there's only a slight increase in the population of Northern Ireland because of immigration. So we, we sometimes hear very alarmist reports um, and they don't necessarily reflect what, what's happening. Um, and even if they did, we, we, our attitude should be one of welcome uh, and an opportunity and not fear. Um, the, the, the Department of um, the Economy in Northern Ireland um, did a, a, analyze the, the employment figures in Northern Ireland between 2008 and 2016. And by the end of 2016, they reckoned there were 17, 117,000 residents in Northern Ireland who had come from an an EU country. The biggest groups were from Poland and Lithuania, 25,000 each. And the report um, said also that these people have been vital to the growth and sustaining of the Northern Ireland economy. Um, now I know Brexit is affecting all these things, but you'll be relieved to hear I'm not going to talk about that today. <laughs> well, <laughs> but of course, that, that surely is producing anxiety and maybe a sense of not feeling welcome to some of these people. Um, and maybe another opportunity. There is also um, estimated over 10,000 Muslims from various nationalities living in Northern Ireland, uh, 7,000 Chinese, 6,000 people born in India, 5,000 born in the Philippines, and 500 Bangladeshis living in Northern Ireland. And, and where would we find them? They're probably all around us, aren't they? They're in our workplaces. They're um, studying alongside us in our schools and universities. They're in the places we eat and shop. Um, they are in our neighborhoods. And what we need to do is be prayerfully intentional in noticing them, seeking them out, and welcoming them. And I think there's often a fear. I've experienced this even. It, it's, I've, I've personally been blessed not to um, experience racism or, or overt prejudice in Northern Ireland. I know many people who have personally, so that does go on. I've been protected for that. But I do sometimes sense a, 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 a fear of people or an apprehension almost like they, they wouldn't know what to talk about with me. I must have horns or, 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 or be a strange species. Um, but I would say uh, maybe we're too interested in what we might say when what people from other countries long for is for you to ask them questions. Um, as Alison gave the example, um, ask them about their country, show some knowledge of their country, show some interest in their background, ask them how long they've been here, what they do here, ask them about their family, how they find Northern Ireland, are they lonely? Are they having any difficulties? If they are, can we help in some way? Um, what are their interests? What do they like to do? And, and, and if you make a connection, um, ask them, can, can we continue to talk about this? Can, can we meet somewhere else at another time? So it's just about um, being prayerful, asking God for opportunities, and then when you get them to be, to be bold and to be, to, to be friendly. And it's amazing how that will warm people's hearts when you take an interest in them. Um, when they're maybe used to most people being fearful or don't care, or even sometimes hostile. That will make a, make a huge difference when we sincerely love and take an interest in people and we show them um, friendship. And uh, if we really get to know someone from another culture, another religion, there are loads of resources out there to then equip you to further understand their background and even how to share your faith with them. And uh, we're very happy to send you some links to those resources if you would, if you would like them. Um, just a couple of things that... that, that we and others I know have done to, to welcome the stranger. We, um, um, we celebrate Thanksgiving in my house because we think it's a wonderful um, festival. It's, it's not too threatening, but, but it's all about, about giving thanks for the good things we have. So we, uh, when we move to a new neighborhood, we put um, invitations through all our neighbors' letterboxes. 
And um, to our surprise and, and uh, fear as well, the response was overwhelming. Um, almost everyone said, we're, we're coming. So it was about 30 people we were expecting in our, in our house for this Thanksgiving meal. So we, um, my wife made the turkey. We got our small group to make the trimmings and the desserts. Uh, and then we welcomed these people. And we were really fearful what's going to happen. Is this going to be, be awkward? And um, we started off, I told a little bit about the Thanksgiving story, about it's about being grateful um, for the good things in our lives. And we believe that God gives us um, the good things in our lives. And one of the things we're most grateful for is our home and our wonderful neighborhood and our neighbors. And, uh, and then we just um, enjoyed food and company. And they absolutely loved it. And we couldn't get rid of them. That was the problem. We wanted to go to bed and they were still chatting. And, and you know, uh, we, 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 we hope we can make that an annual event. And it was just a good way of reaching out. We discovered there are three Americans living on our street, which is uh, very, very, very interesting. Kim, you would be most welcome. <laughs> And then, and then finally, um, another colleague of mine, she goes to a church in North Belfast on Antrim Road, and she got her um, uh, youth group to go to the... Um, they identified all the Chinese takeaways on Antrim Road, and then on d- the night before Chinese New Year, they, they went um, between, I think it was 1 a.m. and 3 a.m., um, they, they went to every single takeaway, and they wished them Happy New Year, and they gave them a gift, and they told them, we're from a, this church up the road, you're welcome uh, and 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 just just blessed them that way and made that contact. And I'm sure that you um, can think about where God has placed you. Think creatively, be prayerful, be bold, and think about how God might be um, asking you to push doors and welcome people. And and I, I can guarantee you will be surprised the way God will use you, and you'll be in, enriched through that. Kim. Hello. Um, like these other uh, friends that are coming to Northern Ireland, um, in God's sovereignty, he has brought to the UK and Ireland thousands of people from virtually every nation across the world to come and study in our universities and institutions. In 2017 and 18, there were approximately 450,000 international students in the UK. This does not include the hundreds of thousands of language students that are often hard to measure. The number in the Northern Ireland is significantly lower at just uh, just under 5,800. 5, um, I recently realized that this is, there's about a third of these are, are born in the Republic of Ireland, but that doesn't take away the opportunity that we might have to reach these students. Even with the impending Brexit decision, which has already been mentioned, there's no indication that the number of students coming to study in these aisles will be decreasing, but rather the number is set to increase as it brings in billions and billions of pounds every year into our economy. But to put this statistic, the smaller statistic, into perspective, um, approximately 1 in 10 students in Northern Ireland are an international student. So 10% of our student population are foreign-born and are living here and for a temporary time to study and to, and again, improve and enhance their lives. Um, the top five non-UK or EU, excuse me, non-EU countries sending students to study in Northern Ireland come from China, Malaysia, the United States, India, and Hong Kong. You can see that far and above it, China continues to be um, the highest number and is, is, is planned to grow. 
So again, while student, in addition, excuse me, students are coming um, in smaller numbers from countries close to the gospel, which presents a real strategic opportunity for the church. For example, students are coming from countries that are listed on Open Doors annual watch list. This is the list of countries that Open Doors ranks as um, where Christians face the most extreme persecution. So while some um, students are coming from countries where they've never heard the gospel, we know that other students are coming from places that they would be persecuted for pursuing and following Jesus. So we have 70 students in Northern Ireland from Pakistan, um, which again is number five on that world watch list. Um, And then we have a larger number, um, you see, from India. And then, of course, China is also still listed and included in that list of persecuted uh, countries. So what a strategic opportunity that we have um, and the freedom that we have to access and share um, the gospel with students from around the world without um, the traditional barriers that might exist if you were to send a foreign missionary, barriers of finance and language, security, Um, But we can do this and we can share our lives, we can share the gospel freely and without fear. Many students um, who are coming from these close countries are more likely than not going to be returning home. Asylum seekers and refugees often want to go home. But we know with, with, with certainty that international students are more likely than not going to leave the UK after three months, six months, and potentially at most five years. And so the impact of just one international student hearing the gospel while they're here in Northern Ireland and returning home as a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ is enormous. Um, as we've already talked about, international students and, and what they, why they're here, the definition, <clears throat> international students, again, are here temporarily. Um, we know that they will not be here living long. Um, and they're here mainly to improve their lives through education, to earn a degree, or to practice their English. Um, so in addition to that being the key distinction, they, they come from privileged backgrounds. They come with a very intentional purpose. Um, but what they don't have is often what we are able then to provide them. Students, international students, are first and foremost students. They are coming with a desire to um, to improve their lives, to... Um, to, to self-discover, to um, be challenged, get new opportunities. So like your own student experience or your children's student experience or your current student experience, it's much the same. However, the biggest barrier and challenge for international students is, of course, language. Well, language is significant. It's just one challenge among many involved in relocating to another culture, as you might imagine. So international students are faced with a number of challenges, but the biggest thing that they face is a lack of support. When they come, they are faced with all these challenges, plus just the stress of being a student. Um, But their support network has instantly diminished whenever they leave home. So while our local students have the support of family and friends on the weekend, uh, international students are often left alone and isolated in their residence for the whole weekend. And this is really where, then, the church can be of service and of help to international students. The church has an opportunity to facilitate these friendships and to be a valuable partner in helping international students develop social networks. 
because we found that when students actually have friends, not only with the host nations, with locals, but also our friends with other international students, that their experience is, is wildly increased and improved. And so um, we can help students connect with other students as well as reach out to them and help them in, in their loneliness. We can also help students access the resources that they need to have a better experience, whether that being university resources or resources in the area. So for example, at the welcome, um, and when students begin to arrive in just under a month now, we organize shopping trips because we know in the first days, students don't know where to do a shop. But not only that, they may be overwhelmed with, by the amount of choice that they have in a supermarket. And so volunteers will go with them to help them pick out things like washing powder or to help them p- pick out things that they might be able to prepare in, in their um, limited um, kitchens. But I think what we do with students and how we reach internationals as a whole is, is how we do that is, is most important, is as important as what we do. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonians about how he shared the gospel with them. He said to them that because I cared for you, I shared not only the word of God, not only this gospel, this truth with you, but I shared my whole life with you. And Joanne has already reflected on that, that as we share our lives with international students, they're going to share more about their lives. They're going to share more about their hopes and their dreams um, in this world. And we have an opportunity to point them and show them how we have the answer, how we have a truth that will set them free and to give them fullness of life in all, in, in all wherever they go. So the primary way that we reach international students is through our friendships, is through the hospitality, is through sharing of our lives, opening up our homes, as has already been mentioned. And as they see um, Christians in the church interact with one another, as they see the church um, um, providing a meal, they begin to wonder, why are you so kind? Why are you so generous? And in that even question and curiosity, you have an opportunity to share the love of God with them in word and in deed. Just a few things I want to highlight and show you some practical ways that you might be able to help in addition to some of the relationships that exist. In Belfast, um, which is where I'm based, um, the churches come together to offer a range of activities and events on a weekly basis for international students. Um, you can see here a list of the v- variety of, of events from leadership courses to cafes to English classes. All of these are an opportunity to, to build those friendships, to um, share a meal together, to share about one another's culture. Um, so as much as they want to are curious about what is British and Northern Irish culture like, we can share with, we can learn from them more again about like Chinese New Year or um, other cultural celebrations. And it's a wonderful thing to be a part of. Um, If you're interested in being part of any of these activities in Belfast or around any other university areas, um, we welcome volunteers. We welcome um, people who want to come along and to just have a chat, um, to do what people here in Northern Ireland do best, and that's to have a conversation over a cuppa. And that's what regularly happens at a number of these activities um, that are, are organized around Queen's University. 
So hospitality is is a key part of welcoming the foreigner and is a key part of international student ministries. And so likewise, if you are um, live near a university or near-ish and you want to open your home to students throughout the year, or particularly around the holidays when many international when many local students are away, when many businesses are closed, when the university is shut down, and students are sitting in the residence halls for two weeks lonely and, and, and alone, you providing and inviting them, putting an extra plate out at Christmas time, not asking you to orchestrate a whole event around one or two students, but to put out a plate and invite them, include them in your families. And, and what... Um, and what happens and, and, and follows on is real friendship and a real sharing, again, of your lives. Many of you might have sent loved ones uh, abroad yourselves over the years, whether they're working, li- living, studying themselves, and you understand what that might be like, um, or yourselves have studied abroad and you understand what that might be like to be alone. And those are often the people who add the most value to a lot of our ministries. Again, one of the things, the biggest way that you can contribute to international students' experience and to share your faith is just by friendship. This is a challenge that I gave to um, all the volunteers I work with around Belfast. And it's friendship for me is simply a matter of consistency and intentionality. It's really when we're intentional with our foreign friends who are here and we go that extra step that's sometimes inconvenient but easy extra step in, in inviting them around, in asking them to run an errand, in um, meeting them for a coffee or the, inviting them to the cinema. All of the regular things that you do, but just by simply that invitation, can really impact their lives. I want to just end with one story, um, which is about a girl called Lisa who um, was here in, in Northern Ireland a few years ago. She's from, she comes from China. And I often um, relate international student ministries to being a link in the chain of one's faith. And sometimes students come with a knowledge of Jesus. Sometimes they come with no understanding or idea of a God, of God that has created them and knows them and loves them. But other times students come with where somebody has already began, has planted a seed. And we have an opportunity to nurture that seed while they're here. Lisa was a friend of mine who would come along to um, a Bible study I ran as well as uh, come to our church service. And I know that she attended many other um, church-run activities as well. Um, Nine months, um, Lisa left without making a a profession of faith. But about nine months after she graduated, she sent me a a Facebook message. And she said, Kim, I just want to let you know that on Sunday, which actually happened to be the uh, 11th of September, 9-11, she said, I was baptized um, in my church back in China. And I was elated. And she said, just thank you for how you and so many others cared for me while I was in Belfast. And I think it just shows the significance of we never know where we're meeting students. And it's not going to be immediate. And we may never see the, the full fruit of our labors. But it's when we get these messages, what a gift that is from God to hear how what we're doing is making an impact. And it just encourages me to continue to be faithful even when you think, where are they on a Sunday? Knowing that the Lord is working in their hearts and that you may get a message about them being baptized back home, which is way better than them being baptized for just an encouragement for the local church. Again, our time is limited and temporary with students, but the potential impact um, 
and the fruit is eternal. And you may be that first Christian friend that, that, that they have. Um, if you want any more information, I know that we're going to offer some resources, but be happy to talk to you about um, any, anything related to international students. Thanks. Thanks, Kim. Um, Just in closing, I want to take us back to uh, Luke 14 and Jesus um, experiencing the hospitality of a Pharisee, a very religious person. And at the table, he just naturally enters into conversations with people. And through conversation, he's explaining what his kingdom is going to look like um, and what his feast will look like, what kingdom hospitality will look like. People will come in. The sick will come in and they will be healed. Those who are, um, exalt themselves will be humbled and those who are humble will be exalted. And then Jesus says this very challenging thing. He says, when you do hospitality, don't invite your friends or family or well-to-do neighbors. Invite the outsider, the maimed, the lame, the blind, from who you can expect little in return in terms of prestige or being repaid. And this is kingdom hospitality, according to the king And this is how the king is going to use us to bring people to his feast who are from different social backgrounds, different nations, and different abilities. And we all have homes and we all have time. So I don't think um, anything that's been asked is something that we don't possess. You don't need a PhD in theology. You don't need um, years of training. You need to be generous and open your home and, and sacrifice your time to welcome people and to look out for, for people. And remember that this time and homes are gifts from God to be used for his glory um, anyway. And Rosaria Butterfield, she reminded us um, earlier in the week, I found it very challenging, saying, strangers, strangers don't just drop into our laps. It's good to be prayerful, it's good to wait, but we also have to be intentional. And if we're going to seek out strangers so that they become friends and family. We either have to go and spend time in the places where they are, or we have to bring them to the places where we live and, and spend time with them. And of course, there's a cost to this, and there's a choice to this. It's a choice of choosing to use your time, use your home, share your family with maybe people who you naturally wouldn't, um, and there, there's a cost to it. But it's also, as Joanne said, about being willing to be real with them, to be vulnerable, willing to share your own struggles and um, show that you're not perfect, um, as well as to listen to them and to receive from them. We're often good at giving. We like to give. It makes us feel important and good about ourselves, but we often struggle to receive, which takes a lot of humility. And you'll find as people, God brings people into your life, you'll receive from them. Um, You'll receive from them um, their friendship, their wisdom, their perspectives that may be very different from you, and also um, the generosity. And people, as we said, from other countries often are, are wonderful at generosity and giving and hospitality, and we can learn from them as well. And of course, it will make your life a little bit messier and less convenient, um, but it is certainly worth it. And these people don't want to be our projects or our, our good works. They want to be our friends, um, and, and, and we can do that. And Jesus has declared, hasn't he, that there, there will be a full house when he returns. And the people who will be um, in that house will be the people who are in our houses and in our lives. And so what a wonderful privilege to be, be used to, to fill the Lord's house by welcoming people into our, our own houses. And um, 
So I hope that, that what you've heard from the word and from what's going on in Northern Ireland and some of the experiences we've shared, that, that you've been challenged. And, and I think, think the thing is, I also don't like the name, the word radical, because I don't think this is supposed to be radical. This is supposed to be how ordinary disciples of Jesus live. Uh, uh, and I hope that we'll all just be reminded that, that this is how we are to live. Uh, and, and in return, our lives will be enriched, our families will be enriched as we welcome people and we befriend them and learn from them. So let me just, just close in prayer. Um, Lord, thank you that you have been so good to us, so generous, so hospitable. You have, um, though we're so unworthy, you have forgiven us of our sins. You have adopted us as your children. You have invited us to um, live forever in your home and to enjoy the feast that you're going to provide so lavishly, Lord God. And in light of your goodness and your generosity, help us to be generous and hospitable. Help us to remember that everything we have in this life, our homes, our time, our gifts, our resources, are gifts from you that we don't deserve. And they're being given to us to share with and to bless others. And I just pray that you will lay on our hearts people or situations or things we might do um, in light of this um, to, to welcome people, particularly the outsider, those others um, ignore or despise, and those who we may, maybe wouldn't naturally reach out to. Help us to pray, help us to be creative, help us to be bold, Lord God. And we know that you will enrich us as we reach out to others. So we thank you again for your goodness, and we pray that you will make us channels of your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Just finally, um, we, we didn't want to print out loads of handouts, but we have a document which has um, references to resources to, to equip you to reach out to people from different backgrounds to, to welcome them and to also to share your faith with them. And also it has some opportunities um, on, on how, things you might get involved in, and it has our contact details as well. So if you would like that, there is a, uh, what do you call it, a, 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 a piece of paper we'll pass around, and you can put your emails down, and then we will, we will send that to you. So thank you. <laughs>